Hello, welcome to more of the Richard Herring podcast feed, powered by Acast Plus. Uh, hope you're enjoying all these tour podcasts. There is still a chance to catch some, though they're selling out very fast. Uh, we, in fact, Sheffield on the 7th of March sold out. Uh, but check the theatre website for returns. Uh, Monday, the 11th of March, Adam Buxton and Lemsis A in the Leicester Square Theatre sold out. But you can get tickets for the Warwick Arts Centre, where I'm talking to Lindsay Santoro and the Exploding Heads internet phenomenon, and at Bedford on the 21st, where I'm talking to Olaf Falafel and my old friend Al Murray. I'm at Glasgow uh, on the 27th of March, sold out, Susie McCabe and Fred McCauley, and then at Hull on the 28th of March with Tommy Cannon and Bob Morton. Uh, there are three tickets left as I talk to you so get there quick if you want to come and see that also this richardherring.com slash come and see me on tour doing stand-up for the first time in six years richardherring.com slash ballback coming lots of places around England and some places in Scotland uh, and that's about it for the moment all right sit back relax and enjoy rahalastapa Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Leicester Square Theatre. Please welcome a man who's currently enjoying his most successful Edinburgh Fringe run ever. It's Richard Herring! <laughs> Thank you very much. Hello, my finest friends. Welcome to uh, the show. Uh, this is uh, part of our Edinburgh Fringe season uh, going out in August. Uh, as you know, if you're listening... At home, uh, but I'm just telling the people here uh, I, I, of uh, uh, Richard Herring's Leicester Square Theatre podcast. I've made the uh, uh, the good decision to do the Edinburgh Fringe without going to Edinburgh. That is my that's that's what I'm doing here. It's it's very enjoyable. Uh, though I was hanging out on the set of Joey today, uh, along with Matt LeBlanc. He just uh, yeah, he hangs out there just in the hope it gets recommissioned. He's just there on the. Look, I know the feeling. We've all been there. He calls it Rahalastapa, so we'll see if that catches on. Yeah, so this is the second. Uh, we were in Wells last week, or last show, rather, I should say. These are going out uh, three a week. Uh, and uh, uh, what I'm going to do is charge myself a rent for living in my own house. Should make about 20 grand, rather than lose 20 grand. And then I'm just going to make my own baked potatoes in my oven, rather than getting them from the Tempting Tatty, which is all I do when I'm up there. Uh, and uh, I don't have to hang around with lots of rich people. It's fine. It's going to be beautiful. So uh, thank you very much for listening. We'll get a real taste of the Edinburgh Fringe, as well as just some regular stuff. Well done. A weight's lifted off me, I can tell you. It was, a ho- it was so horrible last year in Edinburgh, so it's nice to not have to go there. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, look, but uh, some stuff's been happening to me. Um, 
Uh, I've been away with my uh, family this week. I was in Wells last week, as I said, and uh, stayed in Somerset. Um, my kids are very cheeky to me. My daughter, I thought my kids would like me for a bit, you know, respect me for a bit while they were little and be affectionate. I was very wrong about that. My son, my son is, but my daughter's never been that affectionate and never respected me. When she was five, uh, she started calling me Richard. Um, <laughs> and knowing it was a shit name as well, and they're very just Richard. She knew what she was doing in a sort of sarcastic way. Uh, this week, uh, my children found out what the short form of Richard is. Uh, and so my daughter's delightedly calling me a dick, uh, knowing she can't get into any trouble. So, uh, we were cycling, and a couple of guys went past on motorbikes. I said, they're dicks. And she said, no, you're a dick. <laughs> so that's fun. It's always fun. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's lovely to be back here at the Leicester Square Theatre. This is actually the first record uh, we did at the Leicester Square Theatre in this particular run. Uh, and it's nice to have an equivalent-sized audience that I would get in Edinburgh as well. So that's <laughs> very nice of you to, to make that effort. Um, look, we're going to crack straight on. We've got a fantastic guest for you this week. Uh, he's probably best known for his appearance in the nationwide adverts that he advertised... Nationwide. That's probably what you know him from. Will you please welcome the incredible Adam Rowe, ladies and gentlemen. Here he is. The nation of the nationwide guy. Nationwide. Welcome. Lovely Thank you see. very much. Thank you. Hello. Uh, do, you get, do you get a lot of people recognising you from the, from the nationwide ads? See, you, 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 you warned me before the show that you were going to introduce me by like an obscure thing. Yeah. And I'm surprised that's what you went for because... <laughs> That is where a lot of people do know me from. Right. Because it was on. So the Nationwide TV advert, what they did was they filmed six adverts, right? And it was supposed to be six comedians. But what it ended up being was four comedians. So three comics got one each, but I got to do three, which was great for my bank balance. It was fantastic. (laughs) But it was horrific because the first time you heard a bad joke, because they were all bad jokes, right? The first time you heard a bad joke... It's bad. When it's on telly 300 times a day, <laughs> including at half-time of Liverpool games, <laughs> it becomes unbearable. And I got death threats because of those adverts. <laughs> because I became, like, the go-compare man of, like, yeah. banking jokes. <laughs> I just, I'm just annoying everyone. Like, people... Are, and I got it. Like, I really got it. Yeah. But then people did come and see me on tour, and they, like... <laughs> that was really funny. Because my tour shows are not... Necessarily, you know, there's a reason I wasn't just allowed to write whatever I wanted for these banking adverts. Yes, it's not exactly the same type of content. So there was like there was a couple in Wolverhampton who, like five minutes in, like five minutes in, just stood up and walked out. And I went, "Where are you going? Are you going to the toilet together?" And they were like, "No, we've seen you on the adverts, and this isn't the same." (laughs) (laughs) Where's the do some banking (laughs) jokes? And you can't really begrudge them that because no. they're not doing anything wrong. They're just leaving. They yes. weren't trying to heckle. They were, just, they were like, oh, God, no. Uh, yeah, they, they, uh, they left. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it is... It's, it, it is, it is well, you know, I always think Geo Campari, that guy has been going for a long time. So, A, he's a millionaire off the back of doing those adverts. Yeah. But they got quite sort of surreal, didn't they? Started started being in them... He obviously got to the point where, when I'm fed up of everyone calling me Geo Campari, yeah. I want to come on as myself. <laughs> yeah. And he turned out to be a worse actor as himself <laughs> than he was as... Which I didn't Character understand. comedians, mate, they're all the same, you know what I mean? <laughs> they need the mask. Uh, they do. So, but, uh, yeah, you know, that's... 
that's an interesting life when it becomes all in, you know, you've, you luckily that was just a short period in your life. It was a short period, and mine have all been removed from YouTube now. Yeah, I couldn't find them. I did try to look them up. Um, yeah, I was well. I saw that you're talking about it on one of your specials. Like what I like about you is, and a lot of younger comics have taken this uh, idea and run with it, is that you're just putting your specials and your shows, stand-up shows. Once you finish touring them, they just go up on YouTube. So I've, I've watched three of your specials today. One of which was. Two sets together, but two of them are uh, yeah. Like so the, the, shows. The, the first special I put out was filmed in November of 2019. That's called Club Comic. That was just a night at the comedy store. Um, and when I filmed that, I didn't know what I was going to do with it. I was just filming loads of sets at the time because I was like, "This is the thing to do. I'll use it at some point." Yeah. And then during lockdown, I was like, "Well, when I come out of lockdown, I'm not going to want to do the same act anymore. I'm going to need something new, so I might as well just put it out." So I edited it together to make it look like a special. Mm-hmm. Um, Imperius was the first one that went out this year, which is last year's tour show. Um, and then Juicy was like one long story that I needed to tell for my own closure. <laughs> uh, and yeah, I just, I don't see the point in trying to put like, when, when I was with my manager, they were like, we could probably get these, we could pitch it to Netflix and we could definitely get Amazon Prime to give you like 15 grand for it. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, but then we're... I'm basically being paid 15 grand so that nobody watches it. Yeah. And I don't see the value in that, do you know what I mean? I want people to see it so they go, oh, I'll go and see him live. Yeah. I didn't see... Like, 200,000 views on a special, I think, is worth more long-term than 15 grand. I think it's definitely true. I think it's... Well, I think, you know, because, as you say, people will just take a chance on it. Mm -hmm. If If they like it, great. If they don't like it, it doesn't matter. Yeah. You haven't lost anything. Exactly. In fact, they won't come and see you, and that's probably good. Yeah. They don't like you. Uh, but, uh, but you know, you've got, you've got 200,000 people. If, if, you know, one in four of them comes to see you live, that's still like a, a tour sort of thing. Exactly. It's, uh, I think YouTube's the way to go. I think, you know, we're in an era, sadly, where artists have got to give a lot of their online content away for nothing so that they can then charge for the live stuff or stuff behind the paywall. Yeah. Mm. So Juicy... Is mm-hmm. that was that just a one-off thing that you did as a did you tour that or was that just was that just literally for the I thing? didn't really tour it but what I did was I did work in progress shows yeah. in several towns right. and I know that sounds like a tour <laughs> but it, it I didn't bill it as that I was no. just like where can I do this as many times as possible before I film it, it but it was always listed as work in progress the, ch- the tickets were always cheap and um yeah so I did it like I, I did it like twelve times in Liverpool right. I did it, I came to London to do it three. Uh, I did it at the Frog and Bucket in Manchester. I did it in Alexander's in Chester a few times, the wardrobe in Leeds. Uh, and then we filmed it in Glasgow. So we did four shows in Glasgow and just picked the best one, which yeah. was the fourth one. So you say in the, the beginning that it's it's made up, but it, it, that's just to cover yourself, right, from the fact that it, <laughs> that it isn't made up. Or... Well, okay. <laughs> how, how can I say this without causing the problem I had before? Um, so Juicy is the story of a breakup. And at the, the start of Juicy, what I say is this is an, a, a work of fiction. And the reason for that, and I think I can say it this way. Okay. So Juicy is a work of fiction about a breakup. And uh, how can I say this? There, <laughs> there is someone, and I can't tell you their name or their relation to me, but due to certain material I'd done in the past, uh, I got sent letters from lawyers. Okay. That, like, basically, don't be doing this. Yeah. You've got to stop this immediately. With a list of demands, they wanted money and stuff. And 
um, I I did everything I could to tell them to go and fuck themselves. <laughs> and I, uh, I, I, yeah, in the end, it was just... I've, so then you made up this other completely bonus story. Yeah, I made story up a completely different story about something else, yeah. <laughs> I've had a very I don't know what I'm up. allowed to say. I've signed a thing to say that I won't name someone okay. in my stand-up and that I won't uh, do certain things. But as long as I don't name them yeah. and I don't say it's about a certain person... Is it, is it Philip Schofield? It's Philip Schofield, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This episode's not going out till August. I know, it's going to be... Oh, he'll, be <laughs> he'll be dead by then and it'll seem very sick. <laughs> Especially with that bit, eh? Hey? Especially... <laughs> I, I can see the future. But yeah, ju- ju- Juicy is technically a work of fiction yeah. because not every detail in it is accurate, so therefore it's fiction. But I love it, you know, because we, we've, you know, I think we've all, it's a really good show. It's very well, they're, they're all worth your time and they're all worth the, the free entrance fee. Yes. Of YouTube. <laughs> it's um, such a compliment, that, isn't it? You're so but, worth nothing. But, you know, most of us have been through that where you, you know, I had a, I had a relationship, I've, I've written a little bit about where, you know, the person turned out not to be everything mm. you expected or turned out to be a bit crazier than you expected. And um, my, in, my, in my case, we went away on holiday. And the day before we went, she'd been proposed to by her ex-boyfriend and was contemplating whether to get married during the holiday. (laughs) That's quite difficult, isn't it? Uh, I didn't find out uh, till afterwards, but she was was ringing him from the... We were in Barbados. She was ringing him from the hotel phone all the way through. And that's how I found out for sure. But also I had to pay for the... I mean, I, there's lots of bits where you're talking about having to pay for things. <laughs> so it, it was very... I liked it because it was very very reminiscent of a similar crazy relationship. But, you know, in a way, that I, 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 we still occasionally communicate, me and that girl, and we're still friends after through it all, because we were both crazy, I think. Yeah. But it was also, like, a really important relationship in terms of me realising, oh, this is what you don't, you shouldn't yeah. be doing. This is the kind of person you should be avoiding and not... But at least not being totally. in a relationship with. Uh, yeah, and when I look back on the relationship I was in, there was a lot of uh, red flags that I completely ignored yeah. just because uh, I was punching above my weight. So uh, <laughs> and I wanted to continue to do so. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, but like, so what I found out was when I was in New York of in January of 2021, I found on the first night of an eight night trip to New York, I found out that the girl I was with in New York had been stealing from me. She'd been using me bank card behind me back, and not to buy like things that were important. She wasn't like paying bills and then going, "Oh, I, I need it to pay me bills." Like the things she bought were hilarious, <laughs> but also awful, and it was just such a weird and difficult time. <laughs> and juicy is the entire story of it. It's like, initially, my plan with that was I was going to tell the story on stage, see how long it took, and then get it down to twenty minutes because we did our podcast show at the arena in Liverpool in December. And my plan was to do it at the arena and film it there and release it from that. Because right. we were filming that anyway. And I was like, get it down to 20, mini little special. And then I did a work in progress of it in London. And uh, I did Adam Rome friends and Alfie Brown and Vittorio Angeloni were my two friends. And Vittorio and Alfie both had two different bits of advice, but were both very useful. So Vittorio was like, first of all, that'll work at the arena if you boil it down to 20 minutes. It'll get laughs, it'll work, everyone will like it. But you can't film it there. Because that show requires a bit of sympathy to you. And it's going to be quite hard to garner that on screen in front of 10,000 people. <laughs> yeah. So you can't release it from there. And what Alfie said was that story is currently 38 minutes and it needs to get longer, not shorter, because yeah. it's too interesting. There's too many ways you can take it. And 
uh, I agreed with both of them, so I changed my tactic and decided I was going to try and make it an hour, and we did, and yeah. Alfie directed it, and uh, it was, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very glad, because the, the feedback from Juicy was so... I've always just been, like, a club comic, and when I go on tour, it's like... It's, there'll be a loose theme, yeah, and I'll try and put callbacks towards the end and stuff to tie things together, but Juicy's a show, and that's why I got Alfie on board, because he's very, very good at that sort of stuff. Uh, and he definitely sort of was the strength to where my weaknesses normally would be. But the feedback to it from my my people who followed me for years is like, fucking hell, this is the best thing you've ever done. Yeah. Like, and do more of it. and Because my initial plan was I'm never going to do anything like that again. Yeah. And it made me rethink it. Yeah, okay. but, uh, you know, that's true. I think you definitely should. You're a very good storyteller. I also just like the fact that it's not, you know, it's not a big, it's not a show that you've toured and yeah. run into the ground. And that feels like that feels like a fresh new thing to do to get a, a newish idea and get it while it's fresh and then you know and then yeah. it's done and you've put it up online and it's not something you're gonna take out. For well, a I didn't year. want to tell it for much longer. No, <laughs> like a couple of people were like, when they seen it, were like, take that to Edinburgh, like you'll be in with a shout. And I was like, well, first of all, I don't care that much about that, and second of all, I don't want to be telling this in August. <laughs> I don't want to be, like, dragging it out to Len. So yeah. I did that show maybe 20 times, like, maximum 22. Yeah. Like, that was it. And I, I would never normally film something. A joke isn't normally finished until I've done it 50, 60 no, times. Yeah. So, it, but it, because it was a story, there's only so much you can do with it. Yeah. Because it, it's a story. There's not loads of tangents. There's a few. But there's not loads of bits where I go off on one and, like, do something else. It's, it all comes back to that and... I found it quite sort of easy to put it together. Like, some comics were like, how, the, how have you put that together in three or four months? I was like, because what, what else am I going to do with it? <laughs> like, keep moving it around and changing it and second-guessing every bit of it. And uh, it was quite interesting because when we filmed it in Glasgow, Alfie was there, but his plan was he was going to watch me go on at the fourth show and then leave to get the sleeper train back to London. Because he was like, I can't direct you after the last show, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. And he watched the first show on the Saturday, and that was good. And he was like, right, you've got one now, so don't worry about it. But it is the 37 things you did wrong. He's like, don't worry about them, because even without them, the show works. But you did miss these things. Yeah. Saturday late show, people got kicked out. It was chaos. It's Saturday in, in Glasgow yeah. uh, in January. Like, first drink since New Year for a lot of these people. <laughs> it was chaos. Sunday early show was good and better than Saturday early show. So he was like, right, you've got two. I'm getting on the train. Uh, I'll, I'll see you get on. And five minutes in uh, to the, the fourth one, I was like, oh, it's this one. And I just knew. And before the fourth one, he'd give me like 40 notes again, like do all this. And towards the end of the set, I look at the back of the room. And I don't know whether people know Alfie, but Alfie's got a very distinctive silhouette because he's got like a, a very bushy like yeah. set of hair. And I was like, is he still... That can't be him. It must be like one of the barmaids or something. Like with a... <laughs> and I come off stage, and as I go upstairs to the little dressing room bit, he just comes up, and I went, what the fuck are you still doing here? And he went, I wasn't missing that. He went, I knew four minutes in that that was going to be the one. <laughs> he said, and I can't believe... He went, you hit everything I told you to do as well. It just... it, it... Once the pressure was off and I had them in, it just gave me the freedom to do everything right. Yeah. Uh, and that's the one we ended up using. Cool. Um yeah, I think what's in, you know, interesting. Watch, I mean, I've watched everything today, so I've seen, I've, I've seen a lot of your stuff today. <laughs> but I think, and 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 the podcast as well, which we'll we'll, we'll get on to. Um, you know, a lot of people are saying you can't do say anything in comedy anymore, and they're untouchable subjects, and 
Uh, it seems to me that that's not something that bothers you, and that also you managed to cover those subjects that you you you're supposedly you can't talk about anymore. Not, not having your cake and eating it, but keeping the balance nicely between... Yeah, well, the the comics and the people who sort of bang that drum yeah. of you can't say anything anymore, like everything's going to, to nonsense or whatever, I get lumped in with them a lot, and I ate them. Yeah. I ate all of them. Yeah. And I'm quite aggressive. Like, if you look at, like, certain tweets I've put out to them when they're talking shit, it drives me mad. Like, I don't, I don't like publicly slagging people off. But when they're talking, absolute nonsense. Like, the lads who do that trigonometry podcast, right? When they went on Joe Rogan, and they were sat talking to Joe Rogan, going, oh, in, in the UK, you know, if, you, if you're too offensive, like, the comedy store won't book you. You can't do the Glee. You can't do these comedy clubs. And I was literally watching it going, I say whatever I want, and I play these places. Yeah. Whenever I send my availability, I get gigs there. So they're lying. They're talking nonsense. So I emailed Joe Rogan. Right. And I was like, these are talking shit. <laughs> They're talking... And it's it's such a... Like, I love British comedy. I think the top level of American comedy is slightly ahead of ours, personally. But... And there's definitely audience members who, like... You know, you talk about a certain thing. They're like, oh, this is not okay. Cool. I have this argument with a friend of mine, Freddie Quinn, all the time, where he's like, we, people need to stop trying to cancel comedians. They're like, that isn't happening. No. At no point are people going to go, do you know what, let's leave comedians alone. People are going to get upset when you're talking about... Comedy gets held to a higher standard, I think, than any other art form. Like, if you say something awful on stage as a comedian, it's seen as, like, you, you're not allowed to do that. But if you write a drama about it, it's fine. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I like, American History X <laughs> is littered with racism and white people curb-stomping black people and... It's just, oh, that's a drama film, so it does, like, we don't even talk about it being a problem. Yeah. But if you joke about it, it's a completely different thing. Um, and I, I, I'm not in any way saying that people should be allowed to make racist remarks on stage. I'm not going there or anything like that. You should be allowed to say anything on stage, and people are allowed to say whatever they want about what you've said on stage. My, my opinion on what, my sort of stance on what I'll do on stage is I will say anything that I feel like I could defend to someone who has got a right to be upset about it. So if I do a joke about trans people, I'll stop doing it if I don't feel like I could talk to a trans person reasonably and go, here's why I think it's okay. I'll do a joke about race if I feel like I could talk to someone of a different ethnicity and go, here's why I think it's okay, if they got upset. If a middle-class white woman comes up to me and goes, that joke about race was not okay, I will tell them to fuck off. <laughs> because I'm like, I'm not accountable to you, especially when there's... And I think it's so funny. A few years ago, I had a bit about how... I think a big part of the racism towards Muslims in the UK is actually to do with the fact they don't drink. And my justification for that was because, you know, there was terror attacks from Irish people and no one seems to hate Irish people. <laughs> and I would do this thing about, like, you know, we've named a cocktail after Irish terror attacks. The, the Irish car bomb is, is literally on Weatherspoon's <laughs> menus. And the punchline was, you, we're never going to be at a point where there's a cocktail called Allah's Backpack. That's never going to happen, right? And I was doing it all weekend at the comedy store. And on the late show on the Saturday, on the, the side stage of the store was a load of guys from the Middle East in the full Middle Eastern dress. <laughs> and uh, the compere was like, oh, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Like, are you going to do a different set? And I was like, no, I'm going to do the bit because I wouldn't do anything 
that I wouldn't do if someone who could who it's about or in reference to. If they're in, if you're not doing a bit because someone's in, you shouldn't be doing the bit yeah. at all. Like I changed, I had a, a joke a few years ago about little people, right? And it had the word midget in it. And someone said to me, would you do that if a little person was on the front row? And I went, no. And I never did the joke again. Because I, I can't defend it. Because it's not okay. Yeah. But if it is okay, if I, can, if I can justify it being okay to myself, and I feel like I could justify it being okay to someone who is the subject of the joke, not the butt of the joke, but the subject of it, yeah. then I'll do it. Sure. And, you know, you do it artfully, and I think you show what you really think, but then it's like, but let's play around with the concepts yeah you know and you, you talk about uh things like women who are there's a victoria's secret thing where you're yeah. saying you know but that everyone's a 10 in those adverts and, yeah you know and that fat women could never be a 10 yeah. uh but it's very playful and so, and and, and, <laughs> and you just and you justify it enough and that's also involved with the trans stuff so i like, i wrote that routine to wind people up and yeah. it worked right yeah. so and that's the routine they used on my live the Apollo set. Right. So the routine was about how Victoria's Secret CEO said he'd never have a fat model or a transgender model. And my bit was like, you know, <laughs> he should be allowed to say that because I think, you know, it's his company and, you know, they want to keep selling underwear and the most attractive people in the world are neither of those things. That was the start of it. But then they hired a trans model, and I was like, well, she's a 10, so that's fair enough. That's in line with every other model, but there can never be a fat one, because if you're fat, you lose a point for being fat, so you're a nine at best. And that was the joke, right? And the reason I did that routine was I knew people would watch it and hear the trans word and then go, that is transphobic. Yeah. I got accused by a couple of people with that routine being transphobic who weren't trans. I've had trans people come up to me and actually thank me for doing that routine, which is always a quite strange situation where they're like, thanks for joking about this. You know, <laughs> t- that's how you do a trans joke and stuff like that. Yeah. Not one person ever said it's fat shaming. And it is. <laughs> it, it's such horrific fat shaming. Yeah. It's disgusting. Yeah. But no one talks about it because it's not the most popular thing in the bit to be upset about. Yeah. And I wrote it for that reason and it worked. <laughs> and... I got asked about this on another podcast. And what I said, and I've said this before, I also don't think comedians have to mean what they say. And what I always say, the way I try and look at comedy is, it's like I'm a defense lawyer and the joke is me client. And I don't care if he's guilty. It's my (laughs) job to get him off with whatever he's done. (laughs) The the audience is the jury. And if I can convince them that it's funny, then he gets off. If the audience go, no, collectively then he's guilty and I can't do the bit anymore. Yeah, that is true. I know, you know, but I think, you know, you do, you, you do, I think you do come across as an ally, ally and because you're fat as well, so it's still, mm-hmm. you're, you're allowed to make jokes about fat. <laughs> but I think, you know, what I love about that is going, nobody, no woman in this room yeah. is a 10. Yeah. Because no, no women who are 10 come, need to come and see comedy. <laughs> yeah. They don't need to. And I'll up. stand by that as well. <laughs> There's no, 10s don't need cheering up. <laughs> They can just look at themselves. Imagine if you were a 10. Would you be here? Would you leave the house? I wouldn't. I'd be taking photos of myself all day and just loving it. Oh. But it is here. It's playful and that's what comedy... You know, but comedy's always been that and comedians have always done this stuff. And that's what, you know, it just... You, you listen to, you know, and the podcast, which is you and your mates sort of chatting for two or three hours with each yeah. other. And so a lot of stuff comes up because it's ad lib as well. So yeah. a lot of stuff comes up, and sometimes you'll reprimand each other, and sometimes it's funny, and sometimes it it isn't funny, you know. But but that's it. Just feels like you're listening to some mates having a chat, 
but it but it isn't hemmed in by what you know what people imagine. And I think it's often unfunny com- comedians who aren't doing very well. Yeah, think I'll, I have to set my own club to do <laughs> to do my risky material because no one will but touch that, it. That's what I hate about that. <laughs> Like they were talking about that on that Joe Rogan appearance, that and like I, I I've worked with Francis who does trigonometry a few times and he's he's a really sound lad. I don't really like the other guy. I think he's a bit slimy and I know I think he's he knows exactly what he's doing and he's playing up to certain rhetoric because he knows that's how to elevate his career. That's my opinion on it. And he said things about me, so that's why I'm quite comfortable <laughs> doing this. Okay. However, they. they one of the things they said on that appearance was that oh, there's a comedy club in London called Comedy Unleashed. And I've got friends who play Comedy Unleashed. And the idea of Comedy Unleashed, for those who don't know, is it's the free speech comedy club. And we'll say whatever we want to yeah. So they just go on and they'll, the, the, the audience... Like, I hate the clips from it because the audience... You, you don't have to make the joke. You just have to bring the subject up and they're already laughing. There's no challenge to it. They'll just go, Sam Smith, and everyone goes... <laughs> Because <laughs> they know they're going to do something about the fact that, you know, what whatever Sam's done that week. But then they have a go at the Safe Space Comedy Clubs. It's the same gig. Yeah. The, the, the comics who are like, do you know what, I get offended by a lot of things because, I like, there's, there's, a, there's a few clubs, especially around Soho and stuff, where it's like, this is a safe space and you do not make offensive jokes at this comedy club. And if you come in the audience, you know that people aren't going to joke about trans issues, Colour. They're not going to joke about anything that could possibly be deemed as an offensive topic. And people go to those shows, and comedians perform with them. That is the same gig, just the other side of the coin of Comedy Unleashed. That is people going, we want our own space to do our own thing. And I think both of them are fantastic, because it keeps everyone who wants to go to them out of proper comedy clubs. <laughs> and in a proper comedy clubs, you can have reasonable adults who can make decisions for themselves when they don't like something because it's too offensive, or whether they... Don't, if, if you, you should be able to go on in front of a normal audience yeah. and go, here's what I think is funny, and convince them. Because you can't be a defence lawyer if everyone on the jury yeah. is someone you've chosen... But also, if you're doing that edgy comedy, if you're doing the offensive comedy, if you do it in an environment where it's acceptable completely and it's everyone wants it, it's not, there's no fun. You know, like when I started doing As It Occurs to Me uh, and started doing stuff on the internet, it was like, oh, great, I can do anything I want. And As It Occurs to Me, it started off quite full on going, oh, great, I can do, I can do any joke I want, I don't have to worry about it. About two weeks in, you go, yeah, there's no fun in doing that if you're allowed. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, there really isn't. It, I don't get the challenge of it. Like, the, the challenge of it for me is half... It's, it's most of the fun. My favourite comedians are the comedians who present the audience with an idea that they don't initially like, but then use jokes to convince them to their way of thinking. And you don't necessarily want the audience to agree with you by the end of it. Because half the time I'm saying something I don't agree with. I've had people do that. Come up to me after the show and go, eh, yeah, I thought you were quite funny. I don't agree with you, though. And I go, neither do I. <laughs> <laughs> I don't agree with what you've just seen either, but it's funny, isn't it? Yeah. Like, it just doesn't matter. There's a bit in the, the set I'm working on at the minute about the, that woman who a couple of months ago thought she might be Madeleine McCann, okay. you know, the, the Polish woman. Yeah. And there's a line that I do about um, the, the disappearance and stuff that in, just makes the audience hate me for three minutes. <laughs> because what I say is, I hope Madeleine McCann is dead, right? Yeah. See? <laughs> but I think that death is a much nicer result than the alternative. Yeah. Because she's already missing. So if she's not dead, she's had a pretty horrific couple of decades. Yeah. 
around Europe, if you know what I'm getting at. Yeah. And th- I'm not doing the bit because I don't want to ruin the bit. Yeah. But when I first say, because I just say it as nowhere, oh, I hope she's dead. And the audience who've been laughing at the routine for five minutes go, <gasps> and I love that sound because I'm like, <laughs> oh, I've got you, I've wound you up, and now I'm going to prove to you that I'm fucking right about this as well. <laughs> and that's so much funnier than just going, I hope she's dead, and everyone going, ha <laughs> And immediately laughing at it. Sure. I don't, you don't want that because no. it's, it's boring. No, a very good point. So tell us, this is the is this the show that you're working on for Edinburgh and then for touring? So it is. So this show is called What's Wrong with Me. Um, it has become about sort of perception, really, and how I see myself, how I see other people, how we all see ourselves and other people, and how our perceptions are very rarely accurate, and then our perceptions of events as well, um, and how they're very rarely accurate, right. and. I've got quite severe health anxiety. Yeah. So that's a big like chunk of the show is how I constantly see myself as severely ill and I'm often just hungover. <laughs> um, yeah. I had, to, I had a private MRI screening earlier this year and that's a chunk of the show. Right. And the doctor essentially told me I was hungover. <laughs> 2,549 pounds. <laughs> Stop drinking. Okay. Nice one, mate. Can they, can they see that on, on the MRI scan this week? Yeah, he said I've got a fatty liver. Right. He said, you've got a fatty liver, which yeah. is completely reversible, but you need to slow down a bit. Yeah. And I was like, there's no MS. And he was like, nope. You've got a fatty liver. He went, are you hungover? I was like, no. And he goes, when did you last drink? And I said, two days ago. <laughs> yeah. 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 It was uh, alcohol-induced. Yeah. I mean, you're a fan of alcohol, which is uh, in sharp contrast. John Robbins was my previous guest on the Edinburgh Fringe podcast, and he's stopped drinking, as have I, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, though mine was, mine's just happened, but you, you're sort of a vociferous fan of alcohol, despite all this. I have... Um, I, I love a social drink. Yeah. But I have me lines with alcohol, because I come from, like, a, a riddled family of alcoholics. Yeah. Uh, two alcoholic parents, uh, two alcoholic grandparents... Many alcoholic auntie and uncles. Um, and, like, I won't drink in the house and I won't drink alone. Uh, but, like, if someone's like, do you want a pint? I'm like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I do. But you're a young man still. I mean, you're younger 31. than you look. 31, yeah, you're younger than you look. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that, that'll be the It's all the alcohol, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you can, you've got another... You know, I think, like, the thing is you sort of hit 40... Uh, yeah, as I, you know, I was a big drinker in my twenties and thirties, and you hit forty, and you kind of go, I can't keep this up, and then you keep it up for another ten years, yeah, and then you go, no, I've got to stop. Yeah, <laughs> I think I've got to start sorting myself out. Yeah, that's a big part of the show is I've just got to start at some point because my the way I see myself, it's weird because I'm like a mixture of the most confident man you've ever met and then the most insecure man, but it's about the same stuff. Most people are like confident of some things and insecure about others, but I'm both with everything. <laughs> like you could go to me, Liverpool have got an injury crisis and they need a striker. I would sit here right now and with a straight face tell you I will back myself to get 12 Premier League goals. <laughs> I got out of breath coming on stage. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I know how fat I am and how unfit I am. I've started playing golf. Right. I think I broke my thumb today at the driving range right. at 8 o'clock in the morning. I've got a game tomorrow. Am I going to not play? No, I'll play. And just make sure it's definitely broke. <laughs> I'm just an idiot. And I, I need to sort it out. Yeah. I need to start, like, opening mail. I don't open mail. I've got, like, this weird fear of opening mail. Yeah. 
Are you? Are you? I think I heard you talk about having a. If you're a therapist, you're talking I've about just your started yeah. going to therapy. Yeah. yeah, I mean, but as a comedian, I mean, I've always because I think most comedians are the same, right? I think most comedians, and that's why we recognise each other when we can talk to each other in any situation, and you kind of just slot in and you kind of understand each other. But you know, that's most comedians, right? We feel like super confident and super anxious. Yeah. Do you worry that by well, A, I feel like the comedy is the therapy a lot of the time. And yeah. I think you Well do, it has been for me. Yeah. For a long time. That's yeah. what juicy is. Yeah. Like some people were like, that's a bit vengeful, juicy, isn't it? It's like it's nothing to do with revenge, juicy. I needed to tell that story. Yeah, yeah. To get like the closure on it. Yeah. I needed to just get it out because that was the therapy. But like yeah. I but think do you I... worry if do you worry by having therapy? Officially, that that might, you know, extract the the comedy. I don't think so. We had, I had a conversation with my therapist last week right. uh, when I had the last session. That's what we spoke about. Yeah, she was like, "Does everything have to be funny?" And I was like, "Yeah." <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, it does." Like I told her a story about um, a family member of mine who was sort of in the middle of a mental breakdown, and I got a phone call going, they, "They've gone missing." Uh, the the mental health team came and assessed them, right. and. Uh, they said to the mental health team, just give me a minute to gather me, because they were getting sectioned. Yeah. And they were like, uh, to the mental health team, go and stand in the front garden, just let me gather my thoughts and I'll come with you. And the mental health team went, okay. And then 15 minutes later, was like, they're taking a while. <laughs> I went back into the house and the back door was open. Nice. And they were like, obviously, like jumped over the back fence and ran away or whatever, or gone out the back gate. So uh, my cousin rang me and was like... Um, Uncle, insert name here, has uh, has ran away, and the mental health because I knew what was going on with the situation, and I was like, look, they can't have got far, like they're literally old and mentally ill, and go and find them. And fifty minutes later, she rang me back and was like, we found them. And I was like, where, where was he? She was like, he was behind the washing machine. <laughs> So this is how clever he'd got. He'd gone back, yeah. he'd opened the back door to make it look like he'd run yeah, away, pulled his washing machine out, <laughs> got behind it, and then shimmied the washing machine back in. Wow. And my favourite thing about that story is, first of all, he got caught because he was just scrolling on Facebook. <laughs> and the light was, like, back and coming out the back of the washing machine. But when he got caught, he can't pretend he's doing anything else, do you know what I mean? Like, if you're in the cupboard, if you're hiding in the cupboard, you'd be like, oh, I was just getting a coat. <laughs> He was just a man behind his own washing machine. Um, and I told my therapist that story. She was like, that's horrific. I was like, it's hilarious. And your audience agree. <laughs> it's dead funny. It's really yeah. funny. Um, and she was like, yeah, I, I think you need to sort of embrace sadness. And I was like, yeah, I just haven't got that instinct in me at all. Like, I'm sad initially when something happens, but as soon as I can make it funny, yeah. I make it funny. And I don't want that to change. No, but I think that's a I think that's a good way to look yeah. at life. You know, that's what I you know. When I when that's exactly how I responded to having cancer was to like make the make sure you know. There's a moment where you go fuck, yeah, and then there's a moment where you go okay, right. There's, the yeah. way to get through this is positivity and laughing and seeing what's funny about it. Luckily, I had the funniest possible cancer in the, in the yeah. testicle cancer. It's yeah. funny. It's the funniest one. Yeah, uh, so it was easy, but. Uh, <laughs> But you know, but that but that really th- got me through that first first year. Of, you know, just being able to laugh at it. Yeah. So you know, and then you do have to deal with the stuff at some point. <laughs> you have to kind of deal with the. Well, with that's the why I'm in therapy because I don't think I've dealt with my mum's death. Yeah. I did an Edinburgh show about it. Yeah. But I don't think I dealt with it, especially because the Edinburgh show wasn't very well reviewed. <laughs> <laughs> 
if that was five stars and nominated, I think I'd, you know, I'd have cried. So, uh, uh, but yeah, it was an absolute. It was me debut, and it was a shit show. Yeah. Uh, what a what a waste of a dead parent uh, that was. Literally, I think there's too much pressure put on comedians <laughs> to use their dead parent show yeah. as their debut. Yeah, I think they should be advised keep that for your third or fourth yeah, show. Definitely. You know what I mean? People think they're going to get Best Newcomer. You need to really hold that back for Best Show a few years down the line. <laughs> I wish I had. I actually thought at one point, of, after Juicy and the success of it and the feedback of it, I thought, you know what? What I could do, now that I'm a better comic, I could redo that Edinburgh show. Yeah. That story completely differently and do that as this year's tour show. Because literally, I mean, I sold maybe like what, 30 tickets a day. So maybe 600 people seeing that, yeah, which is nothing, is it? So I was like, no one's seen it. I could just do that story again and like rejig it and make it a better show. Yeah, but I just, I, I think I, again, I, I don't like telling stuff for too long. So I, I no, I think I think again, most comedians will feel that that yeah. you know, some comedians will. I mean, some comedians you'll see doing the stuff they were doing 30 years ago and they haven't changed it at all. Yeah, but most comedians will get bored and. Do you, know, do you know the comics who've been doing the same stuff for as long as like I've been going? Yeah. So I'm 13 years at the end of this month. Yeah. The comics who've been doing it that long, there's some of them that I really respect for it. <laughs> yeah. And there's some of them that drive me insane. Because some of them are like, yeah, you know, I, I was a bricklayer and I ate a bricklayer. So I got 20 minutes of uh, material and it's paid me mortgage for 15 years, 20 years. And I just do that and I go to the pub and I'm like, do you know what? You're so sound. You're not in the way of anyone. You are literally... Like nailing it. You've yeah. got a twenty minute set. You've realised you can headline on that. Cool. You no ambition. You do you. <laughs> yeah. It's the ones who've been doing it who are like, why have I never been on telly? It's like, <laughs> what are you gonna do if they put you on? If you let's let's say they ring you next week and they go right, you're doing live at the Apollo, you're doing Taskmaster, you're doing QI, you're doing Would I Like to, you're doing uh, Catalyst Countdown, you're doing them all in the next two months. What are you gonna do on tour? Where is this? Are we gonna fall out the sky from <laughs> when you haven't written a joke in twenty years? And yeah. The, the the bitter ones who are still doing the same stuff can go fuck themselves. But the ones who are just really like, yeah, this is what I do. I know I've been doing it for a long time. <laughs> yeah, it's a good I've got a respect for that. It is, I agree. It's an interesting distinction as well, yeah. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. <laughs> Too tired to clean your floors after playtime? Forgot to vacuum before your friends bring their little ones over? Let Ufi X10 Pro Omni help. Powerful 8,000 PA suction removes debris and MopMaster dual mop pads scrub away stubborn stains with ease. Save time and keep your floors cleaner. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. So let's talk, uh, we, there's so much to talk to you about, but let's talk about the... Um the podcast 
which I was surprised. You told me backstage only started in uh, January 2020, so it was yeah. just before lockdown. You, yeah. you had two months on everyone else. Yeah. You started podcasts. Yeah. So you were going for two months, and then lockdown came, or three months. Yeah, and we made a joke. Uh, do you remember, like, sort of mid-Feb 2020, when Italy was locking down? Yeah. And the idea that we would do that here was just insane. Like, it just wasn't going to happen. So we said on an episode, if we get locked down, we'll do an episode every day. Right. Thinking our listeners would never want that. And then we got locked down and our listeners went, so we're doing this every day, don't you? <laughs> and uh, we took Sundays off, but Monday to Saturday for three months, we did, right. uh, no, two months, we did every single day. Yeah. Uh, and it was hard. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Having an interesting conversation on Zoom with the same person six days a week. <laughs> some days I'd turn that laptop on. So Dan Nightingale's my co-host. He's one of the best comedians you'll ever see. He's so funny. Naturally funny. Improv skills are next level. And I really love him. But those Saturdays, when I just opened the laptop and it's just his fucking face again. It was like, <laughs> how am I meant to... What have I, got... what have I been up to? <laughs> Nothing. Yeah. I walked the dog again. What have you done? Oh, your baby. Shat on the landing. Cool. Great. Great. And that was it. And there was times where we got 15 minutes in and we were like, we're going to have to start again, aren't we? Because it was just hard to yeah. keep it entertaining. But we did it, and it was, uh, it was worth it, because now, uh, now things are going well. Yeah, well, it's grown into this huge thing. And it, what's, I think what's interesting is that, a lot, I think we talk about this backstage, but there's a lot of celebrities who've come, who came in and do, do podcasts for a bit, and they, yeah. you know, but they obviously get lots of people listening. But you and Dan, you know, you've known in the comedy community and you're, you're good, solid comics, but you weren't household names, I think it's fair to say, but when you started... Absolutely not. I'd done, a, I'd done two or three small tours because I had a couple of videos go viral for yeah. stand-up reasons. So I was selling, like, you know, 150, 200 tickets around the country. Uh, I'd done, like, one sold-out show here. Uh, Liverpool, I always sold a bit more. But, yeah, we didn't have, like, big profiles. I had a little one. There's a voice note from when Dan asked me to start the show in which he says, you know, you've got profile, I've got equipment. <laughs> uh, let's do a podcast together. <laughs> and when we did the arena show last year, I, I found that and released it on Twitter on the morning. I was like, this is, the, this is where Dan asked me to do a podcast together. You've got, you've got a good profile. I've got some equipment. <laughs> Such a disservice to himself, but it's dead funny. Um, yeah, so we, we had a, a, a slight leg up in that. Our first week, in a week, we did 500 downloads. Yeah. Which is good, like, for starting out. Yeah. Um, and we were made up with that. And if we ever went back to that now, that would be so catastrophic. <laughs> yeah. 500 in the first week. And I remember I was in London watching Hamilton with my ex-girlfriend, and he sent me a voice note. He's like, lad, I've just checked the downloads, and we've done 500 in a week. I can't believe it. And I was like, fuck off. I said to me, me missus at the time, I was like, we've done 500 downloads in a week. She was like, is that good? I was like, it's unbelievable. 500 downloads. Like, people have actually gone and... They haven't just found it. It's not just come up on their Instagram feed and they've watched it. They've gone and downloaded it. 500 people. Um, it, was, it was so exciting. And then it just... We got up to about 2,000 when lockdown hit. And then when we were doing it every day, every episode did 2,000. So I don't think we grew a lot in lockdown, but we maintained and that was yeah. massive, yeah. And now you've got like 20,000 plus Patreon subscribers, which is ins- a lot better than you cunts have been doing for me <laughs> for the last 15 years. But thank you for your support, those of you. 
<laughs> but that's, you know, that's every month. That's, that's like, insane. So that, and, you, you know, it is a very professional show, and I think, like, you've, you've, you've taken on board what, what you talked saying backstage, you've looked at people in America and worked out how to do it and what you need to do. Yeah, I just think America are always about 10 years ahead of the, the Brits in terms of entertainment and especially the comedy industry. Yeah. Uh, so I just tend to look at what they're doing and then copy it and try and do it better. Yeah. Um, so we got a purpose-built studio, uh, got an aesthetic where we were like, let's keep with this forever, so that when a, a half a word clip comes up, you know what you're watching. Yeah. Uh, it's not, what's this? It's, oh, it's those guys again. Um, I think that's quite important. Good dynamic. Me and Dan had good chemistry, which is why we started it in the first place. Our main producer's my best mate from school, and he's on mic as well, so there's that dynamic, like... Me and him telling school stories, Dan sort of asking the questions that the listener would be asking if they were in the room. It, yeah. It just works. Yeah. And, you know, they're, they're long episodes. and, and you American sort of, style again. Yeah, the first film. hour we do without the guest, and then we bring the guest in, and we do an hour to an hour and a half. And um, It just means that the people who started listening to it just for us still get it. They still get just us. If they, if, even if they don't want to pay for Patreon, they still get an hour a week where it's just us. Yeah. Um, and then the guest comes in, and it's not the celebrity ones where they're uh, often the best ones. And it's quite interesting, like, I could check on my phone, actually. Because when we put a, an episode on YouTube, it tells you, like, how, based on how long the latest episode has been out, how it's doing compared to the last 10 episodes yeah. in the same amount of time. So, like, we had Jack Whitehall on last week. Who's like probably our biggest name guest ever, but he's behind a lad called Mike Rice. Right? Do you know Mike Rice? No. So he's an up and coming Irish lad. Yeah. But he was brilliant. So the clips did well. So people then go and find the episode. Yeah. So he's done more views than Jack Whitehall and <laughs> Harry Shafir, right. who's like a big American comic. Yeah. Like Freddie Quinn was in, who's a friend of ours. Jamie Hutchinson co-hosted because Dan was away. That's the top episode ahead of everyone. Right. Like. It's not the celebrity ones that are, A, always the best episodes and not even the best viewed ones. Yeah. Our highest viewed one ever is Jimmy Carr. Yeah. Because um, occasionally they do work like that. But generally speaking, the best episodes do the best numbers, and I think that's really nice. Yeah, well, it's in, you know, it's incredible like, how quick you've done this and how big that is. Um, you know, and, and, and to be generating that and have your own studio and be thinking of expanding into other stuff. It's so great, and that's that's what I you know that's what I hope podcasts would become even when I started really, but certainly over the last few years, it's good to see someone sort of dedicated to podcasts and you know and and doing it full time. Yeah, it's making it's, sure it's it works. It's, it's the professionalism and the dedication to it that really kind of seals it, probably, isn't it? Yeah, it's great, and we never miss an episode, no matter what. It's always up on time. Like even if we're both going on a holiday, we'll just do an extra episode and get it out on time and. Uh, we've got a second studio that we rent out to another podcast, uh, very reasonable rate because we want them to do well. We've started filming stand-up specials for other comics. Uh, we're going to move into sketches eventually, maybe a panel show. Um, we're just trying to do our own thing. Yeah. Because I, 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 I'm a bit, have my cake and eat it in that I've done a couple of little bits of telly now. Dan hasn't. And he deserves it. Like, yeah. if, if you put Dan Knight and get on live with the Apollo, he'd have probably the best set of the past five seasons. He's a phenomenal club comic. And just so good at like being the everyman and his use of characters and voices and stuff. He should have done it a long time ago. Uh, I did get to do it, you know. I it's not beyond the realms of possibility that maybe I get to do it again at some point. I know I'm on the the radar of a couple of TV shows, but I sort of don't want to need it. 
and just making our own stuff. And the way the internet is now with YouTube and TikTok and Instagram Reels, you can get more views on something you've made in your studio than yeah. any TV show's had in the past 10 years. Yeah, and, so, and make more money from it than you would on yeah. TV. I mean, you're in control of it. So. Yeah, and then yeah. we've got budget and we can make the stuff we want to make. There's no advertisers going, oh, you can't say that. We're like, yeah, we can. Shut the fuck up. People are going to watch it. It doesn't matter. Like, yeah. we're not behest to anyone. We've got sponsors, but we never sign up with a sponsor where they're like, you can't say this. We're like, well, we're not doing it then. Sure, sure. Um, our main sponsor's Ma- Ma- Manscaped, the American... A male grooming thing, but our second sponsor at the minute is Love Honey, the sex toys. Yeah, and just making adverts with sex toys is funny. <laughs> like putting a dildo and sticking it to the desk and then using it as a punch bag, and people are paying us to do that. Like, <laughs> like they're going, "Can you sell these sex toys?" I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, we absolutely can." Like Dan sat there in a gimp mask doing an advert, <laughs> and it doesn't matter because no one else cares. Yeah, um, it's it's such a ridiculous way to make money, and this sounds a bit cliche, but. It, it's made stand-up nicer because stand-up's a very uh, solo art form. You're always on your own. Even yeah. when you're on tour, like, you might have your support act, but that's it. Yeah. There's a team of us, and just doing stuff together as a big team is just so much better. Like, achieving... When we did the arena show, and there was, like, 20 of us on stage for the photo at the end, and you're all experiencing it together, it's just so much bigger and better than achieving it on your own, I yeah. think. No, definitely, and it, you know what? A, it's what a fantastic thing to have achieved, and you know I think it's it's only going to get bigger and better. So it's uh, that's the plan. Yeah, so it's it's terrific. Look, I'll ask you some emergency questions. Uh, so we, ha- you know, we, you've not been on before. I could ask you. I could I could even ask you if you've ever tried to suck your own cock, but I, I think have you tried. definitely have. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> well, and well, you can't do it, can you? Well, by try, <laughs> I mean what counts as a try? Because I knew sort of. Within millimetres, it wasn't going to happen, you know what I mean? I got from, like, here to there, and I was yeah, like, no. like That's a, enough, that's, that's yeah. enough, the movement. And like, I can only tie towards... one of my shoes without coming up for breath. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I do. You know when you tie it, and you're like, I can't do the other one without coming up and having a little break and yeah. then going back down? I can't put my pants on now without it being like a weightlifter. But if I'm standing up, I have to kind of go... Oh, oh, oh. I thought I might, when it, it might do it in my 60s show. I might show you. I mean, I'll put, I'll put them on top of my clothes. But my wife gets really annoyed because she thinks I'm making doing a bit. But I actually have to. <laughs> uh, I have to build up to st- stepping into my pants. I am. Um, I'm worried. I'm middle aged already, and I'm going to die at like fifty because yeah. I make all the noises that old men complain okay. about. People who are like 50, 60, 70 are like, "Oh, can't get out of a chair without a noise." Watch when I grow up in a minute. I'm not doing it on purpose. <laughs> like it's all the time. Like, like just that. Yeah. Ooh, like just constant. I wake up in the middle of the night for a poo. Yeah. I'm 31, <laughs> and I wake up for a shite. Yeah, that's bad. That's bad. I can't remember so. the last time I went to sleep and didn't wake up for a week. Yeah, that's that's. I, well, it's now nah, then it turns in. It's three or four, then you start. Got to start. That's when it's more annoying. So if cool. I do, if I have a one wee night, I'm oh, that's a fucking triumph. <laughs> <laughs> Absolute triumph. <laughs> I think I had that about four last night, and then it get to a point where you think I think I've got some wee in there, but I'm not sure. So you have to sort of. Just wait around down. or yeah. sit down. You just sit down. Oh, I always. I've got a Japanese toilet seat, yeah. so I sit down all the yeah, time. Okay. Yeah. Just wait and sit. Last night I sat down for about twenty minutes playing video games mm. in the middle of the night, waiting to see if anything would. It felt like there was something there. I play solitaire on my yeah. phone while yeah. I'm sat down. Yeah. yeah. Uno, I have to play. play <laughs> Uno's the best. Um, you said you're happy to die at fifty. You've got some very funny material about over fifties. I think get to at fifty. I'm fifty-five. I'm fifty-six this year. 
it's still just about okay. Okay. Mm. I've got a lot. I've lost a ball. Shit. So yeah, don't worry. Um, yeah, I I understand that, but I'm so fucked now. Yeah. And that's 25 years away from me. <laughs> that's nearly what I've done again. Yeah. Yeah. And I I just don't know. Yeah. I like you talking about people in their 80s being like pets as well. That's uh, yeah. that's a good bit. I'll ask you another emergency question. Um, uh, 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 I'm going to ask you what this this uh, this might cross over with Juicy. So let's not include Juicy. This is an AI emergency question. You'll be replaced by AI eventually. This has been the most successful AI question. What is the most ludicrous thing you've ever done in the name of love? Is there anything? You must have done some stupid um, things, Adam. So I spent. This was in lockdown with the ex-girlfriend that inspired Juicy. Yeah. But isn't about. Okay. So we'd been seeing each other two months, and it was lockdown. It was lockdown four or three. You know that one that came in on, like, New Year's Eve? <laughs> yeah. And uh, she came to mine for Valentine's Day, and I turned my spare bedroom into a campsite, essentially. So I, I built a tent out of... Bam- I didn't just buy a tent which would have been about 30 quid. Yeah. I bought bamboo, sheets, pillows, fake petals, oh. a projector to put into the wall, and I was like, we're going to have movie night in a tent. Because she'd sent me like an Instagram thing where it was like, how, how cool is this? And it was a similar thing. It cost me about 400 quid in pillows and stuff. <laughs> yeah. We never watched one film. I showed her, she started crying, said, I don't deserve this. Oh. And, you know, it turns out she was right. <laughs> Oh, it's nice though. That's a nice. <laughs> no, it's when the right. I'm book, a romantic me. You can't you know. use that again now. Though, no, so I can't. It's a brilliant thing. I don't wanted think, to as well. Yeah, you've got to think. Of I've else. spoke about it on our podcast. Right. Like at the time, I was like, I did this. How romantic am I? And I'm like, that's on record now forever. I can never <laughs> use that. Tr- it was such a good trick. <laughs> Waste. No. Oh, anyway. Yeah, I I reused I reused a lot. I used to reuse the nicknames I'd give to girlfriends. It makes it easier. Yeah. Just reuse the same one. Nicknames? Like I call them, I'd call about four girlfriends. I called Monkey for some reason, and then that was one of them was a monkey. Um, <laughs> to be fair, then I just, it just sort of st- it stuck from there. Um, if you um, uh, if you could go into a chrysalis, right, and then yeah. uh, like a, like a caterpillar, thing. yeah, yeah. Uh, and then you, a caterpillar melts and then comes out as something completely different. That's what happens. If you could go in and melt and come out as anything you want to come out as, what would you emerge from the chrysalis as? Like an animal. It doesn't have to be an animal. It can be anything you want. It can be you, change, or it can be someone else, or it can be an animal. It can be what, however you want to interpret it. This is like being in a therapy session, but you'll get this from your therapist. Because um, this is going to tell us a lot about you. I think like a shark. Your shark? Yeah. Wow. I, like, I love water. I love being in water. Yeah. And I just love to be able to stay under it and that not, like, kill me. Yeah. You have to make sure the chrysalis is over some water. Yeah. Otherwise, you'll be a shark. If you do it in your bedroom, just be a shark. <laughs> oh, fuck. That's a good point, yeah. Yeah, so make sure. Think shark ahead. Shark with legs. <laughs> shark with legs, that's fine. It can be anything, yeah. can't I? So... And, a, and an aqua, whatever the aqualung new, version of, yeah. the, of yeah, shark yeah. is. Yeah. <laughs> a water lung. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think sharks are, you know, misunderstood. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just because they look a bit angrier. Dolphins are the real bastards, aren't they? <laughs> they are, though, aren't they? Yeah, some people agree. I think dolphins and dolphins like batter sharks. You know, like yeah. they gang up on sharks and beat the living like daylight out of them. Yeah, sharks just going about trying to eat. 
Yeah, but they are trying to eat dolphins, so that probably explains the... No, but they're not, though. Uh, and dolphins. Yeah. Dolphins, like, you know, they do some naughty stuff. Do they? I don't want to use the R word, but they're the only animal that, like... Dolphins gang rape. Okay. Sharks don't gang rape. <laughs> anyway. Uh, I'm just... This is me shark propaganda, and I'm anti-dolphin. <laughs> I mean, you want to be a shark, you would say that about the dolphins. <laughs> yeah, It'd be terrible if you get cancelled for this anti-dolphin. Dolphins are anti the best PR <laughs> of any animal. Yeah. They get to swim with dying children, and that's seen as, like, a treat. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because they can, like, and they can nod a little ball about and that. Sharks are just hungry. Feed a shark, and then he'd be all right with the kids. Yeah. <laughs> so that's been tried. You can't tell me it's not true. <laughs> All right, one more, one more emergency question, and then we'll see what else I've got for you in my... Um, oh, I won't ask you that. Let me have a look at what I've got. Um, do you fear death? I mean, we've sort of covered that. Yeah, constantly. Yeah. I'd say I've got to the point where I don't want to die, but I'm not... Having kind of got close-ish to... You know, that arena, it sort of made me want to live, but it's made me... Oh, once I had general anaesthetic, it kind of made me not fear it anymore because it felt like that was dying. Then you got turned back on again, and it was quite nice. I had general anaesthetic when I was a child because yeah. I had four operations on my eye when I was a right. kid. yeah. And uh, during one of those operations, while they were operating on my eye, I woke up. Oh, and I'd, all I remember is the gas mask going back over my face, <laughs> put me back to sleep. Right. And I do occasionally have... Like, that doctor is my sleep paralysis demon. Right. Like, when I wake up and I'm a bit stiff, he's who I say. Because I could just picture him just putting me back asleep. Yeah, that's bad. That was, uh, that was my fear about going into general anaesthetic, was to wake up and see my testicle being lifted. <laughs> lifted like a trophy, like Jules <laughs> Rimet. You can do that. Um, yeah, that, so you had part... Uh, one, of, one of your routines, you'd had part of your thigh put in... in a muscle from yeah, your thigh so put into... Yeah, so I had... Uh, I was born with a drooping left eyelid. Yeah. So they took a muscle out the top of my right leg and put it in my eye. Yeah. Wow. So that's when you were a kid that was all happening? Yeah, all before the age of four. Really? Yeah, wow. four operations. It didn't even work properly. No, it didn't. <laughs> didn't. Good job. That, that, that's, in one of the bits I used to do, is like it, they did a medical experiment. That's not like a common thing, is it? No, I don't there's know. Not, there's not loads of kids running around with thighs in their face. <laughs> like, I was the guinea pig, and yeah. they've gone, yeah, it doesn't work, but leave it in. <laughs> like, they didn't take it out. Yeah. Like, it still drips too low, but I've got a thigh in it, so if I open my eye, like, my left eyelid, I don't know whether you can all see it, droops lower than my right one. I don't know whether you can all see from your perspective. But if I open it... Wow. Like, I'm trying to open both eyes the same. <laughs> and that's what that one does, because it's got a leg in it. <laughs> You've thought about putting a leg in the other one? <laughs> so you can... I just don't want to fuck with it, because I sleep with that eye open. Because right, it's yeah. so strong, it's, it stays slightly ajar. Right. To the point where... <laughs> so the first time my mate was in bed with his uh, girlfriend, who he's been with now for 12 years, I happened to be in the bed with them. <laughs> um, okay. Now it wasn't like a, a mange trois situation. It was after a night out, we'd gone back to this girl's uh, apartment to have a drink, but like a flatmate was up and he was like, oh, I'm going to bed now and I've got uni early in the morning, so none of that shit. So she went, Right, why don't you all just come and stay? So we're in a bed. I'm on like the left hand side of it. Uh, my mate's girlfriend's next to me, but they weren't together at the time. He's next to her. 
And then the girl who's flat, it actually was, it was a tiny little thing. She slept at the end of the bed like a dog, you know, just like curled up in a ball. <laughs> and I fell asleep because I was drunk. And then for the first time, they started having a little moment and they're kissing and stuff and, you know, fumbling around. Yeah. Uh, I, I apologise. No, my mate's next to me. His girlfriend's one over. And apparently, obviously, I don't remember this because I was asleep. <laughs> uh, they stopped dead. And she went, go, go. Adam's watchers. <laughs> and uh, then he had to, like, prove to her by waving in front of my face that, in fact, I wasn't watching. I was just fast asleep. Right. Although it's a good little trick to have up your sleeve, isn't it? If you, if you want it, if you I want to watch... I was wide awake. I remember every minute of it, Richard. <laughs> uh, yeah, me mate thought I was dead when I was a kid. Yeah. Because we, we drank a load of Frosty Jack's white cider in my back garden in a tent. And uh, I fell asleep. I mean, I was... And obviously, they're waving in front of me, and they just think I'm dead. So he went and woke me mum up. Uh, and by the time <laughs> this story was in the first Edinburgh show, that wasn't very good. Um, but he went and he panics and goes, I'm going to have to go and wake his mum up. His son's dead. And he goes and bangs on the air. And while he's sort of waking him up, my other mate's still trying to wake me up and slapping me. And then I woke up. And uh, he goes, <laughs> my mum was called Anne. He goes, Anne, I don't know how to tell you this, but like, I know we weren't meant to be drinking because we're kids, but we got the fella to go in the off license for us. And we've been drinking cider. We've been drinking cider in the tent. And I think Adam's had too much because he's fucking, he's dead. He's dead. <laughs> and my mum was like, what? What are you talking about? Yeah. He goes, he's, he's lying on his back and his eyes are open, but there's not. And she went, oh. And she'd obviously just been woken up from like a drunken stupor. <laughs> yeah. And my mum had always told me there's nothing wrong with your eye, you know, be a brave little boy and all that. <laughs> went, oh, that's just his stupid fucking eye. <laughs> <laughs> I heard it because I was now awake in the tent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh but you know, it's it's these. Do you think? Do you think these things propel you towards comedy, or do you think comedy would have been in you, regardless of that? Like you know, both the that life experience of the difficulties with the, with your mum and and I don't know because I was obsessed with it anyway yeah. because uh, I used to watch it a lot with my mum. She introduced me to it really, but I don't know whether you'd I'd, I'd have had the need for it if I didn't have sorts of things going on as a child. Because it's too much of a coincidence that every comedian's a bit fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> There's no comedian who's just like, yeah, everything was great and I'm healthy and here's some jokes. That just doesn't happen. Yeah. Everyone's a bit... McIntyre? Do you think so? No, he's fucked up. <laughs> just trying to think. I think he's own. got such a middle-class guilt about it. <laughs> Maybe. Especially because, like, he was poor as well, wasn't he? After being raised middle-class. Yeah. Became poor. Right. Which was probably, like... And now he's a multi-millionaire. Yeah. And he probably hates that. Because <laughs> he was poor as a reaction to being brought up. Well, probably. <laughs> he's probably self-sabotaged when he's like, I'm poor as fuck. He got into comedy to be a failure, to cover <laughs> up for the guilt of having it so good as a child. And then he's ended up in arena comic. He must be so sad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I think comedians, you know, they, they generally are hard to satisfy, I think, and it's hard to... The thing that I've noticed most, and the, 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 I think the, the place you've got to get to as a comedian is satisfaction with where you are, regardless, really. Mm -hmm. And so, like, but, you know, that, I keep going back to when I went to see Seinfeld, um, there was just a party afterwards. I never really get invited to those things, but I'd got... A, I'd got been given really good seats, like, really near the front, so I was really happy at the O2, and then there was a party afterwards, and I got to see it, and all the comedians, and nearly every comedian you know, at the time, big comedian was there. They were all oh, saying who'd had the best seats, who was in the best box, which I thought wasn't as good as sitting in row four and being yeah, yeah. You know, spat on by Seinfeld. 
Uh, and they were all kind of looking over each other, and none of them seemed happy, apart from Ricky Gervais, who seemed very happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because they're all looking at the next thing up, but I think the thing to get to as a comedian is satisfaction, which I think you... It feels to me like you're, you're getting to that place where you've, where you've I, found it. I'm very uh, satisfied with the, the level of sort of success. Yeah. But I want to be better at stand-up. Sure. Um, I don't feel like I'm finished with it at all. Oh, no, I'm not saying finish, but it's, you know, you're always hoping you'll improve. But I think it's, you know, we'll come up with, you know, it's the next show has got to be better every time. So yeah, it's, totally. no, it's, not, it's never going, oh, I'm satisfied, I'm going to take, take my foot off the gas. It's just, I think, you know, for me at least, I sort of feel like, an, you know, I feel like a, in my 50s, I feel like happy as a comedian, which I don't think I did, certainly yeah. in my 20s. No, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy with sort of how things are going and stuff, but... I want to be remembered as a really great comic, and I don't think I will be if I stop now. No. So that's what keeps me going is, how can I do better than the last show? Yeah. Not just, like, bigger laughs or a bigger room. Technically better. Sure. Like, artistically better and more real and less hack. And uh, I think Juicy, you know, was quite pivotal in where the rest of my career will go. Yeah. Um, I just want it to be better than the last one. Yeah, but that's, that's, that's part of it. That's allowed. And I care more about peer recognition than anything else. Sure. Like a comic that I respect telling me they like something I've done is as big... T- like, that's better than any reviewer sure. and any amount of ticket sales. Sure. Like, a big comic that I like going, I think you're great, is just all I need. Cool. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to do it. So, um, <laughs> but you know, I didn't I'm mean not you. a bit. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you, know, you are definitely going to get there. You, you know, and I think you're there already, to be honest. But you are, you know, you're doing interesting stuff, and and, and I think and I think that's what what I, I like about this is it's, you know, the podcast is fueling other stuff. It's not just it's not an end. It's not an end, no. but it's equally. But it's also not a means either. No. It's, it's you know, you're going to guarantee in the podcast, but it mean, it frees you up to do exactly what you it's want. It's so interesting because I always said, like, even two years ago and a year ago, I was always like, I will always be a comedian who has a podcast. Yeah. But I do think it is, I'm comedian, I'm podcaster now. Yeah. And yeah. I don't think it'll ever not be that now. Cool. So tell us about your... The show is on at the Edinburgh Fringe. What Do you want to tell us the venue of the Edinburgh Fringe? Monkey Barrel 3. Yeah. So the the nice big room, 150 seats. I'm not doing Mondays or the middle Tuesday and Wednesday, but I'm doing um, all the other days because uh, I'm going back to Liverpool to do the podcast every week. Oh, right, okay. Um, because I can't miss it for a month. I'll miss two of the public episodes. Yeah. But I'll do one. I'll be, I'll do two of the public episodes, miss two of the public episodes, but I'll be there for every Patreon episode. Um, I just can't miss it for that long. And, yeah, tour and starts in Europe. In September, and then UK runs from October to March. Cool. It's a long time. It is a long time, but they've got to, you've got to do the long tours, and if you're doing the podcast as well all the way through, then that's something. Totally. Sort of thing, so. Yeah, and me and Dan are on tour at the same time, so there's a couple of dates where it's going to be, take a bit of juggling. But, right. Um, Back to being remote, you can do it on Zoom. Uh, never. Like, no. <laughs> no. Our policy, we would literally, instead of doing Zoom, we would yeah. get two people who our listeners love to co-host together without us. Right. Because our our policy, like we've been offered big guests on Zoom and we say no. Right. We got offered like Steve O from Jackass. Right. He'd be great on our show. Yeah. Can only do Zoom. He's not doing it then. Right. He either gets to the studio in Liverpool or he doesn't do it. Okay. And that's the same for everyone. Because 
It has to be in there to keep the vibe, the aesthetic, all of it. If they can't get to the studio, it doesn't happen. And we'd rather do it without a guest than compromised after a big one. Good. Well, I, I love the ethos behind this and I love the thought behind it and it's terrific. Uh, check out Adam on YouTube and, and check out the podcast. And uh, if you like what you see, which I think you will, then go and check him out in Edinburgh or on tour. Ladies and gentlemen, please give it up the amazing Adam Rowe. Thank you. Thank you very much. We'll be back next week. You have been listening to Rahalastapa with me, Rich Terring, and my guest, Adam Rowe. Thank you very much to Scant Regard for playing this music. I am indebted to my producer, Ben Walker. I'm indebted to Chris Evans, not that one, and Ben Evans, not that one, and all the crazy Welsh misfits who make this show, most of whom are actually from Wales. Uh, thank you very much to the Leicester Square Theatre for having us, as always. This is a Sky Potato Fuzz and GoFasterStripe.com production. tired to clean your floors after playtime forgot to vacuum before your friends bring their little ones over let eufy x10 pro omni help powerful 8000 pa suction removes debris and mop master dual mop pads scrub away stubborn stains with ease save time and keep your floors cleaner want to know more go to eufy.com that's eufy.com and discover x10 pro omni the best in class all-in-one robot vacuum for only 799 dollars Thanks very much, richardherring.com slash Rahalastapa for those remaining Rahalastapa dates, Rahalastapa, and richardherring.com slash ballback slash tour to find out all the tour dates for my upcoming stand-up. Would love to see you at those ones. Please book tickets if you can. All right, enjoy another podcast. Don't listen to anyone else's podcast but mine. Stay faithful, and I'll see you on the next one. Bye. <laughs>